0: Gun, a third down he's intercepted and there's an open field straight ahead for the run back and the touchdown and it's Mika Fitzpatrick and for Baker Mayfield to get calmed down that wasn't calm that goes right into his hand well, there was nothing there at all I don't know what he saw
1: what would Baker Mayfield look like? next year in Kevin Stefanski's offense. I think that most Browns fans would want to see that versus um, a knee-jerk reaction based off of a really hot and cold start to his career.
0: If Baker Mayfield's performance against the Steelers on Sunday wasn't his worst, then it was damn close. An inexplicable pick six on the Browns' opening possession really ended the game before it even started, and Mayfield looked as lost under center as he has in quite some time. He was pressured often, and yes, you may never know the extent of the rib injury he was trying to play through, but those things don't really explain away Mayfield's recurring inability to see the field or diagnose a defense after the snap. The Browns are 4-2, and they remain on a path toward the playoffs, but Mayfield's continued mistakes are starting to ring a silent alarm. A lot has been written about Mayfield's regression this week, but I wanted to try and have a level-headed conversation with some smart people about the Browns' quarterback, try and figure out what's really going on. On Friday, I'll speak with ESPN's Mina Kimes, but today I spoke with Mark Sessler, one-fourth of the excellent Around the NFL crew, and another big Browns fan out here with me in LA. That's whose voice you heard on the intro, and we got into a sprawling conversation about the number one draft pick in 2018. It's time to have a conversation about Baker, and this is part one. I'm Jordan Zerm, and this is The Rebuild. I am very thrilled to be joined by Mark Sessler. You probably know him as a a member of the great around the NFL podcast, uh, which if you are not listening to on a weekly basis, uh, then um, I would strongly recommend that you do. He does some writing for NFL.com. He does 13 other things. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in the building opposite Mark for a a year before this uh, pandemic hit. So it's always funny, Mark. I think about, um, We've talked about this before, but we met for the first, really for the first time to get coffee, like right. I forget what exactly month it was. Was it February? But it was like really close to before things got uh, things got really bad, and that now feels like a complete lifetime ago.
1: I think it was weeks before. I mean, it was. It, I, and I think we talked about, hey, you know, let's do this again in in a week or two, yes. and then suddenly Tom Hanks got corona. Um, a couple NBA players did. The whole thing melted, and I've not been back to that. Office since and I I have alerted them uh, to this and I've told a few people about it so I hope that they've looked they've looked this up but I left like um a variety of like pieces of fruit in my desk from <laughs> from our break room and you know I'm sure they went through but you know it's not really Coda in ability to go look through people's desks in general so I don't know what the status of that is um and I'm not sure that we'll ever be back in that office because uh, we're moving to the Rams facility I yeah. guess we call it the Rams and Chargers facility
0: yeah um i I'm the same I have not been back to to the office since right around that time uh, it's very weird i you know I've only been out here um in Los Angeles for about it's been about like a year and four or five months now so I mean it's been a little more time but um you know it's it's weird to be out here and then all of a sudden everything is sort of shut down and um I'm fully used to operating from my apartment now and the office feels like it was a very long time ago it's just it's just wild how much things have have changed. And um, yeah, I, I sort of use our, our coffee meat for a, <laughs> a remembrance of, of the last sort of one of the last normal things I did before, uh, before all of this started. Um, but as I'm sure a lot of, you know, and if you don't, Mark is also a, a big Browns fan. He's a part, he's got a seat at the table as a, as a resident Browns fan. Um, you know, Mark and I, I wanted to to catch up with you and, and talk specifically Browns with you. I know you obviously do a lot of national stuff around the NFL, but you are a Browns fan at heart, and you gave a really great um, sort of impassioned speech on, on the podcast uh, last week ahead of the Steelers game. I think um, I tweeted a, a part of it because it really sort of resonated with me, um, and, and it was before the game started, and we were all feeling, you know, I don't know if everybody thought the Browns were going to win that game. I certainly thought there was a chance they could win. I, I don't know if I thought that they were actually going to do it. That Steelers defense is, is obviously very, very good, and we saw that, too. An extreme level on Sunday but you had sort of talked about on the podcast and the part that I really um, I really liked was just about you know the Browns have been getting bullied especially in Pittsburgh for you know for me I'm 31 um, I really didn't start paying attention to the Browns until they returned in 1999 I don't really have a memory of them uh, the original Browns the the good Browns the normal Browns um, that's more my my dad's world but you know, most, for my entire lifetime, my memories of, like, Brown Steelers is a, a blown playoff game and just thinking about, like, Troy Palomalu about to jump over the line on a blitz and you're just terrified. You know, he's going to get to the quarterback or somebody on the ceiling is going to get to the quarterback and just having absolutely no confidence that the Browns were ever going to win a game, especially in Pittsburgh. And, and it felt like, okay, this time, you know, it might be a little different. Um, and then it, it was just sort of that exact same feeling after the game. I'm, I'm curious, your initial, like your immediate feelings after that game uh, last Sunday were what?
1: I mean, I think because I am underneath like the, the jobs that we do and stuff like I am a Browns fan and my Sundays rise and fall um, and typically have fallen pretty hard, you know, during my entire time at NFL uh, network, it, it, it it left me low because you look at their you look at their games this season and you have the 38 to 38 to 6 uh, stink bomb against the ravens and then these four really hopeful weeks that suggested, wait a minute, that was them getting out of the gate a little rusty. But now we've got this mauling offensive line. Um, you've got talent all over the place on offense. Baker Mayfield's being well coached by Kevin Stefanski, who I'm enjoying more with each week and who I believe in. I don't have to spend, you know, Monday through Friday wondering if he's actually in the office preparing the team or not. And then Pittsburgh happens and it's 38 to seven. So we got like one point better against AFC North, um, heavies than we did from week one, I guess. But, um, it, it left me in a jumble because it confirms to me that, and I think re- realistically speaking, like we, we probably, you know, you'd feel this way going into the game. Like you said, it wasn't like you're, you're, you're irrational if you're running around thinking that they're going to take care of business, um, you know, easily. I, I predicted a 34 to 31 win in overtime, but I don't know if my, in my heart, like I would have say I really believed that. It's just like you, as the week goes along in Steelers week, you want to just get more hopeful and, uh, you, you, you start to believe in these dreamy scenarios that might be. And then Sunday, um, arrived and just was a, it was like waking up from um, a a beautiful night of drinking with friends and suddenly like you're late for work and um <laughs> everything's a mess i mean it was just a, it was a dose of reality and you mentioned you know if you latched on in 1999 it felt a whole lot like so many other steelers games almost exactly the same and it to me it was like oh well what step forward has this team taken now i think like you get a few days out and you just say look they they're in a different tier than the Steelers and Ravens. And that's okay. This was not going to happen in one year. Um, I do think that the parts are in place though, from the front office to the coaching staff, to have some optimism about where they can be, you know, by the end of the season, when they play Pittsburgh again in week 17, or just in general, that maybe this will be a regime that doesn't get flipped and rebuilt um, in January, which seems to be an annual tradition for the Browns.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you on, on all of that. I think that for as disappointing as that loss was it was somewhat refreshing and i can't really remember a time when i've heard a coach sort of say this but for stefanski to sort of admit um after the game and both in in his sort of pressers that he's done this week that he regrets some of the play calls that he made and he wouldn't he wouldn't make them again in those situations i found that really like open and honest and refreshing and i think it does speak to the the level of coach that he is now obviously you know he's 6 games into his coaching career but i think you've already seen from him an ability to really call the type of game that he wants and sort of um up until that steelers game and yeah you know, i sort of tossed that that first game against baltimore out the window a little bit just because of it was, you know, the first game in a shortened off season against a, a really, really good team that had been together for a while. But in between those games, like, you've seen the offense really hum, and you've seen exactly what Stefanski wants to do. And I have a ton of faith um, in him to sort of use it as a learning experience. And when he says something like that, like, you know, there are play calls that I regret and I won't make again moving forward or, or against that team, I think that's really um, it's just refreshing to hear. And so I feel I feel very confident in that. I feel very confident that this remains the most talented Browns team I think they've had since they've come back. Um, that gives me a lot of hope. And, you know, obviously their schedule really opens up now uh, where I do believe it is the the easiest in the NFL as they move forward. So, yeah, like you said, you know, as they get to these next games, uh, second go-rounds with the Ravens and the Steelers, you, you hope that, they may not be wins, but they will, they'll at the very least be competitive and not sort of be carbon copies of what we've seen in their first two meetings with them. But I think that that does sort of transition into what the main topic of conversation has been this week about Baker Mayfield, because for as, as good as I think Stefanski is, for as talented as this offense is, there sort of remains this question about what Baker Mayfield is uh, as we sort of streak towards the decision they're going to have to make with picking up his um or uh, picking up his fourth year option is or fifth year option excuse me as they as they go into the off season um before we sort of get maybe more kind of in detail with it um Mark I wanted to ask you just after again sort of similar question but after that Steelers game um what was your sort of initial feeling on Baker Mayfield's performance
1: well i mean i think it was his worst game I, and I think he would would say it's his worst game in it. And I think the concern for me comes with um, what you put on tape for other teams because the lesson coming out of Pittsburgh was if you can keep Baker Mayfield uh, stuck in the pocket, which has been the polar opposite of what they what they're trying to do with him, they want him to operate as a a rollout passer that moves the pocket and, and finds receivers open, it gets, you know, a, a shorter stature quarterback um, from having to to try to look through linemen and having, you know, defensive linemen rushing into his face. Um, but you can't really survive uh, forever without growing as a pocket passer. And, and like, I really trust Baker Mayfield's um, accuracy when he's on. Uh, but I, I think that was a game where, and you look at the Minka Fitzpatrick interception as a quarterback that just has not seen the field didn't see that particular player at all um i think he missed uh Jarvis Landry down the field on a play where he took a sack uh, just little things like that um big things too because it was it was really the whole game my concern is is that is that he is a quarterback some of these guys like when they're under pressure um they They, you figure out that they're just sort of a middle of the pack quarterback. And I'm not really convinced that Baker Mayfield's other four games sandwiched in between the Ravens and Steelers, um, are evidence that he's taking a huge step forward. I I think he's also, I, like, I, I, there are other little factors that it's easy to forget. I think he was, um, at low health in the Steelers game, obviously. I mean, you're dealing with a chest rib injury. Uh, and sometimes it's not till after the season you find out like how serious that was. I mean, he, he barely practiced and, you know, it's just, it was the wrong week in the wrong time for him not to be at peak health physically. And I don't know, you know, when, when you, when you factor that along with the fact that he wasn't just, you know, hit and sacked by the Steelers. I mean, he was just demolished by them. And it was the first game where you saw like, Joel Batonio getting handled by Cam Hayward, which is really unusual for a player like Batonio. And it, 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 it was a perfect storm of um, an operation that leaves you just sort of wondering about the Baker Mayfield experience. And I think there's a lot of work to do, but I also would say that um, if you look at what Kevin Stefanski talked about, he just said this a few minutes ago, that he and Baker are basically learning about each other on a weekly basis, that the offense in general needs to go through um, a very real evolution that goes on with every team. And, and Baker Mayfield's been in a tough environment. I know we can bring up Sam Darnold in this conversation too, someone that's had multiple schemes, multiple head coaches, players coming in and out, um, a shaky environment around them. I think that the environment is now different. It's firm, but that doesn't mean that in six weeks you're going to get the fully the full product of Baker Mayfield. I, I think the bigger concern is, is this a player that, uh, like, if it's, if he lacked accuracy, uh, in, in a good environment, I'd be really concerned because you can't survive in the NFL that way. He is a, he, he has a great arm. He can throw the ball, um, all over the place. Uh, he can, as they say, make all the throws. I think that that is the positive of Baker Mayfield is the arm strength. Uh, the accuracy was a huge positive coming out of college. I think it's the vision and the processing and seeing, you know, the other receivers beyond your primary read, because on the Fitzpatrick interception, I just saw a quarterback that thought pre-snap, I want to get the ball to this player, uh, and I'm going to do it. And I'm, and, and maybe I'm going to trust throwing into tight windows a little bit too much. Uh, and, and you know, it, that daring do is a positive to Baker Mayfield, but it's caused over the last two seasons, a lot of mistakes as well and interceptions. And you know, you can't call him a game manager. Inside the system, if he's turning the ball over, and and so he's not really uh, he didn't operate as a game manager against Pittsburgh. He he helped destroy the game. I mean, it's again, I I want to be patient with him too because I think this is like a a sixteen week evaluation. As you mentioned, that fifth year option that's a big decision, and I don't think that this is a team that will simply make moves to confirm. Um, their feelings about previous moves. I think they're going to take a real look at Baker Mayfield. And if you're Kevin Stefanski, you're a no nonsense, um, dug in guy who needs to have a good relationship with his quarterback and believe that his quarterback can grow. Uh, I mean, I think Case Keenan was brought to the Browns for a reason because he's someone that's been in that system. So that was a smart move to help surround Baker Mayfield with someone who can help him grow more quickly. But at the same time, you don't want Kevin Stefanski wondering what Case Keenum could do instead. I, I, I think all that's down the road. I Baker Mayfield, to me, like it's a week-to-week league, and we love to... He's a guy that's going to get um, ripped apart every time he loses on national TV also, because there is clearly aspects to Baker Mayfield that don't jive with certain football players, certain analysts, certain everything. Um, I think for the Browns fan, you just want to see growth. And... and there have been positive signs, but overall, like, I'm not convinced he's that different of a quarterback than last year. I think he's in a more organized environment. So I want to see those traits and those games from Baker Mayfield that convince me, wait a minute, we have something here in this quarterback.
0: Yeah. He's such a, um, he's such a fascinating case because like you said, he really, he can absolutely make all the throws and some of the throws he makes, Think you know, the one against the Colts, uh, where he hit Kareem Hunt in the back of the end zone while he's, you know, sort of scrambling away from pressure. Really, really impressive throw. Um, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks I've seen at sort of when he rolls out of the pocket and he has to quickly sort of flip his hips and let the ball go. Like he's really, really good at that. And I think about the touchdown in week two against um the Bengals to Odell Beckham Junior where they sort of bootlegged him out and he had to quickly kind of flip his hips and sure and hit Odell. Like he's he makes throws and you're like wow like that there's a really good quarterback in there somewhere but what what sort of has made me press pause is like the things that he has become that he's really struggling at and that he's really regressed at are just so fascinating like his numbers in a clean pocket are really bad and that's <laughs> and it's just very strange um i mean i know there are quarterbacks uh, in history that are better sort of when they get out on the move and that's something you mentioned as well he obviously is very comfortable getting outside of the pocket. Um, but it, it's not that like he's just bad, like against pressure in the pocket. It's like, he's even just struggling when he just has to throw from a clean pocket and he's not rolling out. And that to me is a very concerning thing that is going in, in a direction that you don't want to see it. And, and I do think this sort of um, I've touched on this before, but there is such a pattern to his interceptions, um, especially the one that he threw to Minka Fitzpatrick where He just doesn't see a defender in his throwing lane. Um, And if you go back to, it's interesting because I think if you go back and you watch some of his rookie year uh, when defenses didn't really know what he did well, you know, the Browns did a lot of that sort of those quick throws where, you know, he's maybe quickly faking it to a running back and then hitting a guy in a slant and, all of a sudden defenses are starting to put guys in his throwing lanes and, and sort of realizing what his tendencies are. And he's just not really made an adjustment yet. And that's going on about a a season and a half now. Um, And that, that is certainly worrisome, but I think like you said, like one, you know, they're obviously like Baker Mayfield is playing the rest of the season. They have an easy schedule. I have no doubt. He's going to, I think he's going to play really, really well against the Bengals next week. Now, obviously the Bengals are not an opponent you want to set the baseline at as to performance, but like Baker has a chance to go on a little bit of a run here and sort of quiet some of that, but it's not going to be the sort of quality of opponent that maybe you would hope it would be. But also the other thing is Mark, it's like what, I don't know what other option they're going to have. This is especially when you're thinking about like next year and picking up his option because they're not going to have a high enough draft pick to really, to be able to consider any of the elite quarterbacks in this draft. I guess people, you know, talk about Trey Lance from, from North Dakota, who I I honestly haven't watched enough to really have an opinion on. I just know that there are people that think he's you know in that sort of second tier of QBs after a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence, and that he's really talented. But like, you know, that's a that's a risk. Do you want to? Is that what you want to spend your draft capital on? And is he even going to be there? And then you look at like the free agent quarterbacks and that coming up in 2021, and that list is outside of Cam Newton, that list is abysmal. So it's like, I don't even really know what the Browns' option is going to be if if they get to a point where they're like, okay, like Baker Mayfield just isn't good at these things and our offense is not going to be able to go where we want it with him. I don't even really know what you'd do, Mark.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a, a tremendous dilemma. And the not picking up the fifth-year option for a first-round quarterback – um, it's really rare. I mean, it happened with Mitch Trubisky. Yep. And it needed to happen with Mitch Trubisky. That was a front office that seems to me completely blinded half the time about their own moves and, and what they look like to others. But, um, I, I don't think Cleveland at this point is considering anything but moving forward with Baker Mayfield for the reasons you suggest. Um, could they draft someone that could be a project? Sure. But I mean, I think you do that even if you have, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Like you sure. always want to be developing those players. I, it, the The picture is just, you know, partially revealed. I I think the rest of the season, um, would have to go terribly for Baker Mayfield, terribly, um, for him not to see the fifth year option. I just, I think that you have, like they, they are aware of what he's been through. Um, but they're aware of what you mentioned too, these on field flaws that give you pause, that leave you a little concerned about how fixable they are. What is this a player that's going to see the field differently and better? Um, But also mixed with this this sprinkling of, of moments that help you think, wait, this guy could be the guy. So I think it's just like, there are a bunch of these quarterbacks that are sort of all over the map. And I mean, I think he's sort of a week to week proposition, like that you can think of a, a tier of quarterbacks where you know what you're going to get every week. And I mean, the good ones, like you don't sit around having these conversations about them because... They arrive and they're fully formed quickly and they're simply going to continue to grow as quarterbacks and become more consistent until they become too old or something else happens. With Baker Mayfield, it's like you're, it seems to really hinge on the opponent. It seems to hinge on. Um, the, the health around him, the players around him. And then there's times where you look at the roster and you say, well, we're not doing nearly enough with the Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckhams of the world um, with this quarterback. He's not making these players productive enough, and it's hard to know where to you know, pinpoint blame. I think that the offense uh is this year one that obviously they clearly don't want to put Baker Mayfield in a position to have to rescue games. Where I think last year there was a lot of that going on because there was just – it was a state of confusion in general uh this is an organized coaching staff i mean think stefanski is making his assessment weekly on baker mayfield but he's showing a lot of patience too because i think that kevin stefanski who has been coaching quarterbacks for decades understands that this doesn't happen um just simply by november 1st
0: for sure um and and like you said and i think like his comments today like this is obviously a this is a continued learning process. And I think when you look at Stefanski's offense, the benefit of it is it is a really, I mean, it's a quarterback friendly offense. It's, it's a tight end friendly offense. It's a running back friendly offense. Like i I am 100% bought in to this, to this offense to, and how Stefanski is designing it. And I think for the most part, like it should uh, the keyword there should, but it should allow Baker to sort of, as this season goes on and as they sort of hit this sort of easier stretch in the schedule, like it really should allow them to kind of, uh, form, form this offense in a way that is really going to play to, to Baker's strengths as you sort of learn more what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I think, like this is maybe a little bit of an extreme comparison, but I do think it fits. Like you look at what, Kyle Shanahan has done with Jimmy Garoppolo in, in San Francisco. Like I'm, I'm pretty low on Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I think he's a fairly average quarterback, but when you have a guy that at the very least can make most of the throws. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo to an extent can, can make most of the throws. Obviously last season executed that offense to perfection. They have a, um a, you know, a phenomenal tight end in George Kittle. They have a great running game that Kyle Shanahan is able to sort of you know, scheme where guys like Raheem Mostert and, and guys you hadn't heard of before, um, are, are gashing teams. And it just reminds me a little bit of, of what the Browns maybe are going to have to do with Baker. And it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, obviously the 49ers defense last season was incredible and a huge reason why they made it to the Super Bowl, but you, you kind of had an offense that was, designed by a really, really smart play caller in Kyle Shanahan, probably one of the best. I'm not here to put Stefanski at that level, but I do think there are similarities in in what they do with tight ends and running backs and, and in offense in general. And a quarterback that you just, you try to limit the opportunity for mistakes. Now, is that what you want from your number one overall pick in Baker Mayfield? And is that what you want from a guy that you spent a lot of kind of trade capital on in Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, probably not. I think... Kyle, in a private moment, would probably wish he he was getting a little bit more from Jimmy Garoppolo. But, like, you can get to a Super Bowl. You can get to the playoffs with really talented skill position players, really good running backs, and then a quarterback that just sort of can execute that offense. And I, I think that will be the ultimate test for Baker because we've seen him execute the offense. We've also seen him like you said, I think you put that really well, sort of destroy the entire game plan against the Steelers when he's making throws that you just, no matter what offense you're in, you just cannot make. Um, and so I, I think that comparison is is really interesting to me because I think especially this season when Jimmy has gotten off to a really kind of tough start, but then you saw what he did against the Rams last week. And like, I think when you have a smart play caller and a smart offensive mind and you have a capable quarterback, like, that's sort of the result that you should hope for.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I look at someone like Jared Goff as well. Where I mean, sure, you know, draft pedigree aside, Jared Goff um, is not a stranger to putting some real stink bombs on tape too. And you know, he he had real protection is- issues last year, and his play suffered. And he, and he he was not the same quarterback. So I think you you know, for, there's probably like 25 coaches around the league that know that their quarterback is going to need like a good environment around them um, to be put into a position to not make mistakes. And I would put Stefanski in the, in the world of Shanahan, um, just sort of looking at the offense and what he wants to be. I think it's like, what does the, what does the Browns offense want to be? It doesn't feel that different to me than what the Niners want to be. No. I mean, like it, you, these runs, these runs happen because of your ground game. Um, if you have a Patrick Mahomes, if you have a Deshaun Watson, you know, if you have someone like a Lamar Jackson, you're going to cater your offense to those strengths. But that's fine to say there's really always at any given time, only four or five quarterbacks that are offering you that variety of, um, ability to completely assassinate the opponent. Baker Mayfield is probably closer to the world of Kirk Cousins. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, a, a version of Jared Goff. And I like the Jimmy Garoppolo comparison too, where you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, it, the, it's funny, this has almost nothing to do with it, but they they had a similar um start where Jimmy G went to the Niners after that trade, and we spent all offseason talking about that. I think it was like a six-game sample size where he looked dazzling, and it was like, yeah. wait a minute, and they signed him to that contract based on that sample size, and, and I think the person and what they saw of him in practice and who he was um so you know that that was their evaluation and i don't think it was necessarily like a mistake but that's not someone you we think about the same way today and, and baker mayfield had his incredibly hot start where you know and the pff put out this um notation that in 2018 baker mayfield had a score of 80 plus um in 7 games um last year he had one that way and this year he has none so it's like i i want to trust the 2018 part. But I like what you said too, that I think teams out of the gate were trying to figure out what to do with Baker Mayfield when they were confronting him um, the same way you would with any young quarterback who is only giving you, you know, 240 minutes of, of tape. And that's changing now. I mean, I think teams are figuring out that if you can do certain things to Baker Mayfield, um, if you can make him uncomfortable, he is a guy that too often kind of locks onto his target and, sometimes the locking on the target comes with him not seeing defenders in that zone, in that area. And then you get these interceptions that uh, completely help you to lose some faith in what Baker Mayfield is, unless he's really coached up. Uh, I, I, I I, think that Stefanski is a perfect match for him. Um, what that means though, like is Baker Mayfield a perfect match for Kevin Stefanski? Like that's mm-hmm. what needs to be decided. But, you know, this is not the right way to put it, but I think they're stuck together for the next, for this season. And I would say for next season, if not beyond. Um, So I I don't see things changing. I think you want to do everything you can with Baker Mayfield to find out who this player is because his NFL journey has been really rough up to this point. I mean, it's not, I just don't think that we know what quarterbacks have to go through when you switch schemes. I mean, we saw that with, I would say Matt Ryan, even when Kyle Shanahan went to Atlanta the first year, uh, he was not the same player. It was, and, and it, it left a lot of people concerned about Matt Ryan. And then the second year was the Super Bowl year. And it's like, what would Baker Mayfield look like next year in Kevin Stefanski's offense? I think that most Browns fans would want to see that versus um, a knee-jerk reaction based off of a really hot and cold start to his career. I mean, we're also in a time where – it, it really hurts a player like Baker Mayfield or a guy like Sam Darnold, um, or even like a Mitch Trubisky, although I just don't believe in Mitch Trubisky, that you have guys coming in and being Patrick Mahomes right away. I mean, it just shortens that, um, window of patience. And we're already in a time where like coaches are fired after one or two seasons, quarterbacks mean failures after two years. And then you get Ryan Tannehill who, you know, put him in, a, in, in Arthur Smith's offense, knowing how to, use Ryan Tannehill in an offense that does things differently than Adam Gase did with Ryan Tannehill in Miami. And we see the player completely differently. So, Baker Mayfield to me is the kind of guy that if he were ever let out of Cleveland's system, someone or many people would pounce right away because of the positives. So I don't think Cleveland, um, is ready to make any sort of a decision at this point. And you want to just trust the idea of experience and familiarity in Kevin Stefanski's offense, which I think, you know, it sounds like we both totally believe in because of what we're seeing with our eyes. I mean, the overall attack looks completely different than anything the Browns have had other than a little bit when I thought Brian Hoyer was being coached up by Kyle Shanahan in 2014 before Brian Hoyer. I mean, you know, there's always going to be a tipping point where you Brian Hoyer is Brian Hoyer and you had mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel on the bench and then chaos erupted and they lost like six in a row after a really promising start that hinted at the playoffs. So this is, you've got that coat, that type of coach, I think back in the building. And that to me is um, where hope begins for any football team.
0: Yeah, I, I love the 2014 comparison because I had, um, I talked to a friend about that. Um, just how similar, you know, I think, obviously, I think Baker is much more talented than, than Brian Hoyer was. And you saw what Brian Hoyer did up until, yeah, I remember it sort of started like when Alex Mack broke his leg and then it sort of just, right. <laughs> it really started going backwards from there. Uh, and then before you knew it, Johnny Manzo was starting and that season, um, went downhill quickly, but it is sort of, Again, there's, you know, there's that name, there's Kyle Shanahan, there's, you know, being able to run with some outside zone and and those type of schemes. And like, I I do think it's right there. And I I also think the the optimist in me, and I, I somehow have remained an optimist through all these years of Browns football, but like, when you watch Baker in his rookie year, he just like, he was fearless, like he was ripping throws, I think one a lot of people remember is the one against the Panthers and that beautiful pass he through to Jarvis Landry in the end zone where he just, he got out of pocket and he just ripped it. And you're just not seeing that type of confidence and fearlessness from him anymore. I think like when he's throwing into windows where he's not seeing guys, I don't think that's fearlessness. I think he's genuinely just making a pre-snap decision and going with it, um, no matter what. And that's a little more sort of maybe not reckless isn't the right word, but just not a smart decision. I, the type of throws where he just would, you know, a guy would flash and he would say, I'm going to trust my arm and I'm going to rip this ball. Like for whatever reason, he's been so hesitant with that. And I wonder if last year really broke him in that area where, because there was absolutely no structure around him, because there was no identity on offense and the Browns were sort of just after their opening script, just throwing stuff against the wall. Um, and he threw so many interceptions. I wonder if he just kind of like, is holding back in that area. And my hope is that you mentioned that pass that he could have hit to Jarvis Landry that he ended up taking a sack on. I actually tweeted a screenshot of it because had he at the exact moment that he hit the top of his drop, just let the ball go. Um, Now, was there a little bit of pressure? Yes, but he had time to make that throw and Jarvis was wide open going across the middle. And those are the type of throws that he's just not really attempting anymore. Um, and I, I am hopeful that that is a mental thing, and that is a thing that as he becomes more comfortable in Kevin Stefanski's offense, as he trusts that this offensive line is going to continue to give him time, that he's going to start ripping some of these bigger play throws that he just, for whatever reason, whether it is because he lost confidence after last season, um, that, but you're just not seeing him anymore. And I think you saw a lot of that in 2018 where, like, those are throws that no matter how much tape the defense has on you, if you can make them, they're not going to stop you. And I really hope that he's able to sort of get back to just not thinking so much and, and really just throwing it. And I think that's a, a mental thing that's really hard to, to kind of quantify.
1: Yeah, I like what you just said. I mean, I, there. this is coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. But after um, that Bengals game, they put out um, like a, a mic'd up, NFL mic'd up episode, and it featured you know baker heavily and um there was another week of that too and i I just wanted to watch him because it brought me back to like 2018 when they did a few of those on him as well when the browns were kind of vibing and it was the whole baker mayfield um ultra confidence the absolute ability to um speak with his teammates to razz people around him um just having fun and kind of like you know for if Baker Mayfield run another team. Would I find him a little annoying at times? I think probably a little bit. Um, but <laughs> but as a Browns quarterback, it's like you take the good with the bad. And like when he's playing well, and you get that that kind of alpha male, um, alpha dog personality. I think that's the 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 Baker Mayfield experience. And you, you know whether or not that's what you'd want in your quarterback. Um, I'm fine with it if he's succeeding. And and the, so to go back to the the would up episode from this year. I was encouraged to see that he was that way still with his teammates, with the people around him, um, kind of jabbing with coaches, uh, versus the public Baker Mayfield, which has been so sullen. Um, and we get it, the, you know, operate in silence and last year's last year. And, and the commercial stuff aside, I mean, there's all these things happening at once. But I think Baker Mayfield, the player, wants to be taken seriously and wants us to know, And he's because he's mentioned this and made a point of it, Um, over and over that study, tape study matters to him, preparation matters, that he wants to put football first. I I think that last year, like you could look around on that whole team and it was clear that football being put first was not being done in the same way that it was for the teams that advanced onto the playoffs. They just, they, that's changed now. I think that that whole building today, um, has a different, code and mantra and and, and mission statement. And that changes a lot. And Baker's bought bought into that. So that's the first step is that I think that he is that guy. But I also want, I don't want to lose the Baker Mayfield that for all the haters and, you know, whatever, that you're always going to have people talking that still has that ultra confidence, which I think, like you're saying, translates into confidence on the field. And, And, you know, and I'm kind of, Often esoteric lands with some of this because, you know, we're, we're outsiders looking at this on a weekly basis and not knowing much of what it goes on, um, in the days between. But I mean, Baker Mayfield, the confident version of Baker Mayfield is a different player than one who is maybe, you know, searching through his mind on what to do and not seeing certain things. And that's why I just think comfort, confidence in a scheme will come with comfort and like, you know, it's like we're we're having the same conversations about Tom Brady up until a couple of weeks ago. It's like, oh, he just doesn't look comfortable in this offense that's a mishmash of what he wants to do and what Bruce Arians wants to do, and Tom Brady just doesn't look at home as he was in New England. Well, I mean, that stuff works itself out, and I think it can work itself out with a young quarterback too. Um, but, you know, to me we're not watching a quarterback that's at home in this scheme yet. And so that's going to create a lot of really um, head spinning tape.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's a great point. I think you saw sort of body language wise from Baker all throughout that Steelers game, like just didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go with the ball. Wasn't finding anything was kind of skittish in the pocket, like feeling that pressure. It, it really just was sort of the worst case scenario for, For that game, not only his struggles, but the offensive line struggles, the Browns haven't, you know, we haven't even touched on Nick Chubb being out like the Browns haven't been able to run the ball since Nick Chubb went out and he's such a huge, enormous part of what the Browns want to do. So there is, they will get Nick Chubb back, they will play a little bit easier schedule, and he will continue to grow in this scheme. And I I do think when we get to the end of the season, we will have a much better Hopefully a much better understanding of, of whether or not Baker Mayfield is, is starting to sort of grasp this offense and, and can kind of become that confident quarterback again that we saw in 2018 and, and when he was at Oklahoma. And, um, Mark, I'll finish with, with this and thanks again for coming on. But, um, speaking of the end of the season, just quickly look into your crystal ball and as this season, as the regular season comes to the close, where, where are the Browns and, and where do you think uh, your confidence level with Baker? I know that's a hard question, but where do you think your confidence level with Baker Mayfield would be when, uh, after that game against the Steelers in week 17?
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned their schedule and there, and there are a lot of games that you could look at and say they should win. They should go on a little bit of a run here, string together, um, you know, two or three wins in a row. And I'd have no confidence in that if they hadn't already done that. I mean, to go out and put up, the points that they did against the Bengals against Washington uh against Dallas and the Colts um you know these are not great football teams and we certainly look at the Cowboys win a lot differently than we would have when it happened uh, but they were the better teams in in those games and and to me that's what they are they're they're kind of like a level down or maybe two levels down AFC team that should be in contention for that seventh wild card spot. Um, I'd be surprised if it were if it were higher. I'd be surprised if they had any chance of um, hosting a game on any level. I just don't think that's the case. I think they're a, a team that goes into a wild card game. Maybe they would win that, depending. I think they can. I think they could play with anyone, unless you get one of these heavies. But if you if you drew, uh, I don't know. I, you throw a team out there like it, another sort of lower tier wild card team. That could be a great game, and I mean the idea that Cleveland could get to the playoffs is a nine and seven, but I think ten and six is fair based on the schedule. I don't think that's a pie in the sky type stuff. Um, if they stay healthy and once they get Nick Chubb back, I think that's transformative. I I'm with you. I think that's been overlooked a little bit. It's like it's nice that you have Kareem Hunt, but Nick Chubb is a completely different um deal altogether. I, I I'm probably just like higher on Nick Chubb than some other people are. Um, outside of you know, the Cleveland fandom, because I just think that the way he runs, uh, wears defenses down and he, and he's such a punisher and he's such a perfect fit for what this team wants to be that you can't just mask over his loss. So, you know, after the bye week or whenever it comes and you get Nick Chubb back, I think that helps a ton. Um, you know, you get guys like Wyatt Teller back. All of that helps Baker Mayfield. And all of that helps the Browns look more like what could be a 10 and 16. And you'd have to look and say, if they ever won that playoff game, if they got there, um, or even just to go and have that experience, A plus for Kevin Stefanski after what this, after what this franchise has been through. Um, because I don't think that that's total, uh, you know, that's not just like, a fault. That wouldn't be a false um, telling of who they are. I mean, I think they've, they've made strides and there's a long there. You can only imagine what would happen if they had a competent defense, which has not been the case. So I have an optimistic feeling about the path forward. And when it comes to Baker Mayfield, I mean, if they achieved all of that stuff I just mentioned, he'd be part of that. I think he'd be someone though, that you'd have to be, I maybe the problem with Baker Mayfield is adjusting our expectations If someone said, look, we're going to sign this quarterback, he's going to be like the 20th best quarterback for a couple years or or even sometimes dip lower than that. And by metric standards, he's much lower than that right now. But he's going to do some things that make you think that the ceiling could grow at some point. Like, to me, that's where we are. And, you know, I think talking about Baker Mayfield is also um, a bit confusing because we're seeing week to week such different performances that when I think about him, all I really can say is I just need more time because I'm not ready to say where he is yet. And I think at the end of the season, you know, they play Pittsburgh, week 17, at home. I could see that being a game that they would need to win to have a shot at a wild card game. So part of what I'm imagining is them beating the Steelers to get into the wild card round. And then from there, we'll see what happens. That would be an incredible second chapter to that rivalry after what we just saw. I mean, that's the positive, um, glass, probably more than half full. Look, there are a million other, um, alternate reality threads that could be much darker, but coming <laughs> off of the Steelers game, I don't really want to go down that road, uh, in this show right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, we're currently in a very dark timeline. So hopefully, uh, we can, get, we get out of that and we can leave that one behind. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, them, being ten and six and having a shot at the the playoffs, unfortunately, this is such a tough division. But um, it would be more than I think any of us could have hoped for and, and wanted in a, in a brand new coaching staff. In what the pandemic has sort of done in terms of time that the team had together in the off season, all of that, I think it would be a, a huge accomplishment. And I think it's it's absolutely obtainable. And um, yeah, it is going <clears> to <throat> uh, excuse me continue to be a sort of fascinating ride with Baker. And, um, you know, obviously because he is sort of that polarizing personality, like there's a lot of attention paid to him and there's a lot written about him and said about him. And um, sometimes the discourse I think can, can get a little over the top, but it's nice to be able to, you know, just kind of have a, a an open conversation about him and, and what he is and what we don't know what he is yet. Um, and I think that those are all very fair things and you hope that, yeah, like you said, he grows into this offense. And by the end of the season, he is, he is, comfortably running uh, Stefanski's vision of this offense, which I think there is a very, very good chance that he is able to do. And, um, yeah, you hope that, you know, this is – we get a Browns playoff appearance for the first time since 2002, and, and you just soak that up and enjoy that. I think no matter what, um, that will be an awesome experience.
1: I agree. I, I mean, you know, you talk about picking up the team in 99 – it, one of the last seasons that I enjoyed before that was, the, which has been talked about a bunch now because they achieved a similar early, early season record, was Belichick's 94 season. Um, they were a different team than this because it was a different era. And I think Vinnie Testaverde threw like 14 touchdown passes that year, like Mark Rippin <laughs> was on the team. Yeah. But they had this punishing defense in a, in a special teams um, part of the operation that was just uh, just amazing to watch. And that team lost to the Steelers three times. They, they lost to them obviously twice in the regular season and they got to the playoffs and lost to them there. And they just couldn't get past that team. And they, they were, they were a team that I think that had things not gone the way it did, um, they would have become the Ravens. And, and so it's like a great crime to me still happened, um, to Cleveland because you look at Art Modell, he fired Paul Brown, which essentially created the Bengals. Uh, he moved the team to Baltimore, which created the Ravens. So, you know, the two of the two of the AFC North foes Cleveland has to figure out every season were essentially created by Art Modell. And so <laughs> the history is ugly on that front. Um, there's just a lot of psychology wrapped up with this team. And, you know, you go back to that week one in 1999. I was much younger then, um, very excited, um, had no job, no car, did not have a girlfriend, but the Browns were back. And, like, I remember waltzing into this sports bar in Boulder, Colorado, with my little notebook. They were on Sunday Night Football. I'm going to take my football notes, and this is going to be the part of something great. And they lost 43 nothing, and they've mm-hmm. never really gotten past these better teams in their division ever since. So that's the next step, and we know they're not there yet, but it's not impossible to dream – that if you keep this coaching staff together, uh, for a while, a long time, maybe as long as some of these other teams do that, um, you know, from era to era, they don't change, they're successful. That's what the Browns are trying to be, I think, from a front office angle. I mean, everyone wants to be that, but this time around, I look at this coach and I kind of get that feeling. Like, and I've fallen for lots of coaches. So, you know, that's, this is not the acid test in me, but, um, Stefanski just feels a little bit different. He feels like a modern day version. I mean, you know, when there were whispers, could they go hire Mike McCarthy? Well, I'm so glad that, um, on the second time around, Paul D. Podesta got his way and got Stefanski. That's who they wanted a year ago. And I can only imagine where this team would be had they hired Stefanski a year ago. So that helps me only to wonder where they'll be a year from now with Baker and everyone else.
0: Yep. Um, agreed on all accounts and very much looking forward to sort of watching Stefanski transform, continue to transform this team um, and and see where they can go. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining me, man. This was a blast. Um, let everyone know, obviously we touched on the Around the NFL pod, but sort of just let everyone know where they can find that and, and all the stuff that you got going on. I mean, the pod is, uh, it's it's on iTunes. Uh, it's, it's on every
1: one of those, uh, you know, Every one of those services that offer podcasts. So shouldn't be hard to find. Uh, our show, our flagship show is on Sunday nights. We cover every game, um, right when, right when they wrap and we cover Sunday night football too. We have a show right now on Tuesday. We have an NFL network show, um, that airs on Saturday mornings, which is based off our Thursday preview show, which is an audio format. So there's a lot of it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mark Sessler, M-A-R-C for Mark. And, uh, that's, that's about the, the run of it there's occasionally writing on NFL.com I don't know if you need to waste your time with that but feel free um, there you go.
0: All right well uh, yeah be sure to, to give Mark a follow on Twitter great follow there and, and check him out on the uh, around the NFL podcast one of the one of the very best in the NFL space So Mark, thank you so much for joining me man.
1: Oh thanks it was really fun and uh, we can talk again maybe in sunnier times That will that would be wonderful.